Please turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of James, chapter 4. James, chapter 4, and we'll read verses 5 through 10. Or do you think the scripture speaks to no purpose? The spirit which he has made to dwell in us yearns jealously over us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. We've been working our way through this important passage of the scripture in our recent Sunday sermons. Last week, we looked at that first command in the beginning of verse 7, which really governs the entire paragraph down through verse 10, where James says, Submit therefore to God. This morning, we come to the first command, which is part of our submission to God, found in the second half of verse 7, where he says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And here we have a command and a promise. The command is first, it is simple, resist the devil. And then for those who do, the promise follows and he will flee from you. The command resist is made up of a verb, which means to stand. And then there is a preposition with it, which means against. And so it means here to stand against or to resist the devil in opposition to him. James tells us here to stand our ground when he comes against us and not give him an inch. In all of his ways and at every time resist the devil and he will flee from you. The only way for us to submit to God is for us to stand against the evil one because the two are opposed to one another. There can be no compromise and there can be no middle ground between God and the devil and we are to submit to God in all things and we are to submit to the devil in nothing but always to resist him. And so as we begin this morning, we should consider who is this being called here the devil. He is, in the Bible, the archenemy of God. He is a fallen angel who rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven into pits of darkness. He is a very real, intelligent being. He is supernatural. He has tremendous power. He is cunning. He is a spiritual being. He is filled with hatred and malice against God and against God's kingdom and against God's people. He has no mercy. He has no kindness. He has no compassion. He has no goodness or truth in him at all. He has many thousands of demons at his command and he has great power in this present world. He is able not only to influence the minds of men and women, with deception and evil thoughts and desires, but he is able to actually enter into them and to possess their souls and to rule their minds. That's what we saw this morning in the passage in Mark chapter 5 where the man was demon-possessed with a legion of demons in him. And we read often in the Gospels of demon possession and it continues to this present day. He holds men captive by nature in the kingdom of darkness. 
He blinds them to the truth of the gospel so they cannot see the glory of Jesus and believe in him for their salvation. Unbelievers and liberal theologians, they mock the idea of a being called the devil. But you cannot read the Bible without finding him. And from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, he is there throughout the entire word of God. His great skill is to lie and to deceive the minds of people. This is what he did when he tempted Eve in the first sin in the Garden of Eden. Eve knew the command of God as she stood before the tree that if she ate from that tree, she would die. The devil came and with his first lie to her, he said, you shall not die. He said, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And by his lie, he worked his deception into Eve. She ate, she gave to her husband, Adam. He ate as well. And by that one temptation, the devil brought sin and death into the world and the whole human race fell under the bondage and power of the evil one. And he ruined so much of God's creation. Jesus spoke of him and said he is a liar and he is the father of lies and a murderer from the beginning. So much power does he have in this world that the apostles call him the God of this world and the ruler of this world. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that he is the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. When the devil tempted Jesus, he took Jesus up to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their glory. And he said to Jesus, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus did not oppose him on the grounds that he did not have such power. Because Jesus knew that it is true, the devil owns the kingdoms of this world and all the glory of this world. John tells us in 1 John 5 and verse 19 that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Sometimes he is called Satan, sometimes he is called the adversary, the tempter, the evil one. The name devil literally means the slanderer, and it is a fitting name for him because he slanders God to us, and he slanders us to God. In the book of Revelation chapter 12, John calls him the great dragon, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. And John calls him the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before our God day and night. All we have to do is look around us in this present world and see the terrible deceptions, the utter falsehoods that he has produced and propagated in so many ways in this present world, he is the father of lies. And he lies behind every deception. He is the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. But while he continues to exercise such great power in this world in general, his primary target is the Christian church and every believer. Before we became believers, we were his captives in his kingdom of darkness, and we were his willing servants, and there was no warfare between us and him. But once we became believers in Jesus, and we were taken out of that domain of darkness, then the warfare began. And the devil's great desire is to tempt and deceive us, to bring us into one sin or another, that we would harm our souls, that we would bring dishonor upon the name of Christ, that he would bring harm to the Christian church. He has thousands of years of experience 
at his temptation against Christians. He knows every one of us with supernatural intelligence, our weakness, our vulnerabilities, and he has an endless number of ways to tempt and to ensnare us. He does not look upon us as Christians and say, well, they have left my kingdom and there is nothing I can do with them any longer. No, he comes with his power. His desire is to bring great harm upon us and to bring us back under his rule and his dominion. If we question what Satan can do to a Christian, all we have to do is remember what happened to Peter in the Gospels when Peter, an apostle of Jesus, came under such influence of the devil's deception that Jesus had to call him Satan. Satan, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not upon God's interests, but upon man's interests. And all we have to do is remember what happened to Peter when he was sifted by the devil and he was so easily, he so easily fell and denied the Lord Jesus three times. Peter never forgot that, and Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 that our adversary, the devil, is always prowling about. Not to nip at a Christian, but to devour him and to destroy him. That's his great aim in this world. He works in the Christian church today with great deceptive power. He sends his false teachers into the church to lead multitudes of Christians astray from the truth of the word of God. John said, many false prophets have gone out into the world. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and said, for such men are false apostles deceitful workers disguising themselves as angels of light, disguising themselves. And no wonder, he said, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end is according to their deeds. The craftiness of men in deceitful scheming, Satan always at work to deceive the church. So when James writes here, in chapter 7, verse 7, resist the devil, what he is telling his readers is that we are in a spiritual warfare with the devil himself, and with the spiritual powers of darkness. James brings up the devil at this point in his letter because those to whom he was writing in this letter, they had fallen under the desires of their own pleasures, the love and friendship of the world, the power of these things, Quarrels and conflicts arose among them. Satan was active, James is saying. He was behind the scenes, always at work in your heart, and you have been ensnared by him, he says, in all these things. Those who are most unaware of Satan's power are most prone to come under it. Those who fall asleep in the Christian life expose themselves to his schemes. But even though the devil is very active, we are the ones who are still responsible for our sins. The devil can tempt us, but he cannot make us sin. If we turn for a moment back to chapter 1 of James' letter, James chapter 1 and verse 13 through 15, James says, let no one say, When he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. 
Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. James here wants believers to know that the source and the beginning of our sin is found in our own lusts. In verse 13, it is not found in God or anything that he has done. It is not found in circumstances or what others do to us. The source of our sin is found in the lusts of our own heart. In verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. But in James chapter 4, when James mentions the devil, he fills in a part of the temptation because the devil comes and finds this friend in every heart of a believer, the loss of his own heart. And the devil works with that loss. And the devil stirs that lust up. But it is our lust from our hearts and we are the ones responsible for our sin. He has power to tempt but he does not have the power to make us sin. And we are always the ones responsible for our own sins. He hides from us the end of sin, which is death, which is mentioned there in verse 15. And so back in chapter 4 of James' gospel, James' book, the book of James, chapter 4 and verse 7, James says, resist the devil. Stand against him. That word resist is the same word that the Apostle Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 6. When he says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then James says, therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist There's the word that you may be able to stand firm against him in the evil day. So you are in this warfare, James says. And this is what has happened to you. And there is only one way to deal with the devil. And it is to resist him. To make no compromise to him and to seek to make no accommodation to him. There is only one way and it is to resist him. So in this warfare, the devil comes with his accusations and his fiery darts against us. And he is always seeking to discourage temptations, to discourage Christians to bring us into temptations and sins, trying to deceive us, trying to tell us that something is really not so bad, some sin, it is not so bad. It is really a matter of your Christian liberty. You have a right to do what you wish to do. And he makes plenty of excuses For us, why we may indulge ourselves into some kind of sin. He tells us even, do not worry about that sin because when you are done with it, does not Christ love you and will he not forgive you for it? And then after the sin, he then comes and tells us that the sin is too great and Christ cannot forgive us. It is too grievous and too evil. He sows seeds of doubt and unbelief in our minds over the character of God and the promises of God. He tempts us to distrust God. He raises questions over his faithfulness and his love for us. And so in many ways, the devil is always seeking with his Schemes and his fiery darts in this warfare against us. The question is, how do we resist the devil in such a way that he will flee from us? It is an amazing promise. We've seen the command that we are to resist the devil. But then we have this most amazing command given to us here that he will flee from you. 
The word flee, a very strong word. And the word flee here that is used in this passage, it means to run away. It means to escape, to escape to a place of safety, to disappear and vanish. Now the same word flee that is used here is used in Matthew chapter 2 when Herod was about to kill all of the young children in Bethlehem and the angel of the Lord came to Joseph in a dream and said, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. That's the word flee. Flee because you have no safety here. You must flee into the land of Egypt. The same word is used in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 23. When Jesus told his disciples, when they persecute you in this city, he said, flee to the next, flee to find a place of safety. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 33, Jesus warned the the Pharisees and said, you brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? How shall you flee from the sentence of hell? So that's what the meaning of the word is. The idea is that one is not safe in one place, and so he must flee and find a place of safety. This is the promise given to us here. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The question is, what must we practically do in our lives that this promise of God will be true for us? And that we will see this happen in our lives, that he will flee from us. We are speaking here about a spiritual warfare. And in spiritual warfare, there must be spiritual weapons. And God knows that we are in this warfare. He has not left us without the weapons that we need for this conflict. And there are three main weapons to resist the devil so that the promise is true that he will flee from us. Those weapons are faith the word, and prayer. The first weapon this morning is faith. I mean faith in Jesus. Faith in who he is as the living, exalted Savior at the right hand of God. By faith we continually come to him and we receive from him all that he is, all that he has done for us in his great salvation. And we can see this in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. If we turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. And we'll read here verses 16 and 17, beginning at verse 16 down through verse 19. Paul says, verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. In verse 16, he speaks of prayer for the Holy Spirit to come and be in our inner man. And for the purpose of verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. A most amazing statement. The Holy Spirit brings Christ to dwell within our hearts. It is the same promise Jesus made to his disciples in the upper room. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He said, my father and I, we will dwell and take up our abode with you. But how is this done? He says, it is by faith so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. A real, living, powerful presence of Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. Faith We continually must exercise faith. Faith is not entirely, we should not think of it as entirely a passive receptacle 
receiver of grace. But faith is a conscious and deliberate act of the soul by which we look to Jesus to rest ourselves entirely upon him. And by faith, we receive his presence and his power in our hearts. That's what Paul is telling us here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. It is the same thing Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Paul said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So by faith we receive the blessings, the benefits, the grace and the power and the help which Christ has to give to us. We are united to him by faith and everything that he has accomplished for us, his righteousness, his eternal life, and the unsearchable treasures of Christ belong to us by faith. It is an amazing thing. Back in chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians, Paul has already told us that God raised him from the dead, exalted him, into the highest places of heaven, to the right hand of God, in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And he has given him a name that is above every name, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And God has placed all things under his feet in subjection to him. In other words, Christ is the highest, the most powerful, and the most glorious being in all the universe. And yet here now Paul tells us that Christ comes to dwell in our hearts by faith. Now what does the devil do when he comes to a Christian and he sees Christ dwelling in him by faith? He cannot stand in the presence of Christ. He has no choice. He must flee from that soul that is indwelt by Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he said in the passage that we read this morning when he saw Jesus. He said, what do we have to do with you? And then they had to depart from Christ through the swine, down into the sea. They had no safety in the presence of Christ. And the devil has no safe place when he sees a heart filled with faith in Christ. And he must flee and run and escape to find a place of safety. So what we are saying here is that the devil is not omnipotent. Christ has far greater power over him. We are weak in ourselves. But by the power of faith with Christ dwelling in us, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us and we can overcome the evil one by the power of faith. Resist the devil. By faith in Christ, and the promise will be true, he will flee from you. The second weapon that we must use to resist the devil is the word. I mean the truth of the word of God. Truth is an especially powerful weapon because the devil is a liar the father of lies, and he has no truth in him. His nature is that he is filled with lies, and truth and lies cannot stand together. Truth drives away lies. Light drives away darkness. And the word of truth must drive away the devil. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 44, he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
He cannot stand in the truth. He cannot stand in the presence of truth. He is a liar. And when he sees truth in the mind of a Christian, he has only one choice. He must flee. There are many truths of the word of God which can make him flee. But I have one particular truth of God's word that I bring to your attention this morning. It is a truth that I think is invincible in its power. And it is the truth of the gospel that the devil is a conquered and defeated enemy. Christ has won the victory over him and the devil is vanquished. His power to harm God's people has already been destroyed. We can turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. And verse 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. That he might destroy the works of the devil. When John says here the devil has sinned. From the beginning, or he has been sinning from the beginning, it could refer to his rebellion against God in heaven when he was cast out. But this is his nature to sin and to continue to create sin in his kingdom of darkness. His goal has always been to destroy men by sin, death, and eternal destruction. That's his great work. But John tells us in the second half of the verse that another one has appeared. The Son of God has appeared in his first coming. He has come down from heaven as a man and his purpose is that he might destroy the works of the devil. That he might conquer all of his power and his kingdom. That he might have great victory over him. He is the seed that was promised in the Garden of Eden who would come and crush the head of the serpent, and he has come into the world, and he has destroyed all the works of the devil so that the devil cannot have any ultimate power over Christians anymore. That's the great paradox of the cross, that what seemed to be the destruction of Jesus ended up being the destruction of the devil and his kingdom. The Son of God appeared for this purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. A great truth that is found throughout the scriptures in many other passages. In Jesus' ministry, he sent out his disciples to preach. And what did Jesus say? He said, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Jesus came to the cross. He said he knew what would happen at the cross. He said, now judgment is come upon the world and now the ruler of this world shall be cast out. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, Christ became a man that he might destroy, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And Paul tells us in Colossians 2 and verse 15, That at the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities, the powers of darkness, and he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them at that cross. So it is a great truth of the gospel that the devil is a conquered enemy. He may trouble us. He may tempt us. He may prowl about us, but he has no power to ultimately destroy us, and his doom is certain at the second coming of Jesus. And Christ with a word will banish him and send him into the lake of fire and brimstone forever. So that's the word of Christ's victory. Paul tells us in Colossians 3 and verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Let the word of his victory over Satan dwell richly within you. Let the word of Satan's doom by the power of Christ, let that word dwell richly in you. And when that word is dwelling richly in a Christian, 
then what shall the devil do but flee? He will not stand in the presence of the truth of his coming doom. He must flee and find and escape into a place of safety. He has no safety in the presence of the truth of his own destruction. We can turn back for just a moment to chapter 2 of John's letter here, chapter 2 and verse 14. And John says in verse 14, he says, I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. We see at the end of the verse, he writes to young men and he says that they have overcome the evil one, which implies that they have been in conflict and war fair with him, but they have had the victory over him. They have overcome him. The idea is, past tense, that the struggle was in the past, and now they stand in this position in which they have overcome him in the conflict. They were made strong, John says. You were made strong in this conflict and you gained victory over him. But how were they made strong? And how did they overcome the evil one? By the word of God. By the word of God dwelling in them. That's what John says. By the word of truth. The word of God is a living, abiding, and powerful word. And it is by the word dwelling in them that they became strong in the conflict with the devil in resisting him. And by the word, they overcame him. Resist the devil, James says. Resist him when he comes with his temptation and his evil thoughts. Resist him by the word and he will flee from you. When Jesus was tempted three times, he used the word of God. He said, it is written, and he quoted scripture. And when he was done, Luke tells us the devil departed from him until an opportune time. And so the weapon that Jesus used was the word of God. And it must be the weapon that we use as well. And as it was with Jesus, so it will be with us that the devil will flee, but not permanently, until an opportune time. The third weapon that we use is prayer. To resist the devil, we turn in our Bibles back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, Jesus taught his disciples that pattern of prayer which we know as the Lord's Prayer. There are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer, and these petitions are general and they cover the entire range of our needs in the Christian life. And the sixth petition is in regard to the temptations of the evil one. We see it in the beginning of verse 13. And the petition is that we are to pray to our Heavenly Father and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or it can be translated from the evil one, the devil, who is the source of the temptations. And it is a request that God, in his providential care over us, would watch over us and guard us so that we would not be brought into temptations by the evil one by which we would fall and wound our souls and dishonor our Heavenly Father. The Shorter Catechism asks the question, what do Christians pray for in the sixth petition? And the answer is, in the sixth petitions, Christians pray that God would either keep them from being tempted to sin or support and deliver them when they are tempted. And so here is Jesus who has come down from heaven, the Son of God, 
And if ever anyone knew what we ought to pray for and how we ought to pray and what prayers are pleasing in heaven and will be answered in heaven, it was Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus knew that we would be in this warfare with the devil. And so important would it be that we have strength to resist him, that he placed one of the petitions of this pattern of prayer in regard to the temptations of the evil one. In ourselves, we would be weak and helpless, but by prayer we could receive the power from our Heavenly Father to resist him. It will come to us by prayer. This is what we must pray. Lord, do not lead us into temptation. Resist the devil, James says, and this is the weapon by prayer, and he will flee from you. It is a daily pattern of prayer. That's what we see in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. And so that applies to the sixth petition as well, that we are to be praying daily that God would keep us from the temptations and the power of the evil one. Because his warfare against us is unceasing. He takes no vacation. He gives himself no rest. He incessantly comes with his schemes and his plans to harm us. And so we must be daily crying, do not lead us into temptation. Give us the power to resist the devil. Jesus made a similar request in John chapter 17. He said, I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. That's what Jesus is praying now in heaven for all of his people, that we would be kept from the power of the evil one. And here we are in the conflict of this present world. With the God of the world, the power of the evil one all around us, with his schemes, with the fiery darts of the evil one flying in the midst of the air, and the power of darkness that we wrestle against. Where shall we get help? And where shall we get strength to resist? We pray on earth this petition. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the power of the evil one. And Christ prays the same petition in heaven. And with our prayers and the intercession of Christ, his prayers always being heard, we can have confidence and assurance that God will give us the strength we need to fight and resist this evil one. Paul speaks of prayer as well in Ephesians chapter 6. In this spiritual conflict, he says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So we turn back to the book of James chapter 4. James chapter 4, he also speaks of prayer on a number of occasions in this letter. And we could even look at verse 8 where he says, draw near to God. That would include prayer. So certainly prayer is the weapon, one of the weapons that James tells us and had in mind that we must use. The tradition of the early church was that James had camel knees because he was such a man of prayer. He spent so much time on his knees that he knew that, he became, that his knees became like camel's knees. He says in chapter 5 that the effectual prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So James knew from his own experience the power of prayer and when he says here resist the devil, he surely meant resist him in the power of prayer and the promise will be true that he will resist. He will flee from us. And we should pray 
for more of the power of the Holy Spirit at the end of verse 5. The spirit that he has made to dwell in us, we should pray for more influence and grace of the Holy Spirit and for more of that greater grace that he mentions in the beginning of verse 6. And when we do, then we will have the strength to resist the devil and he will flee from us. So when the devil sees these weapons being used, faith, the word, and prayer, they are mighty and powerful weapons against him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, he says, We walk in the flesh, but we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And we are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Every speculation, every lofty thing, every lie of of the devil and his kingdom, we are destroying it with these weapons and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When the devil sees these weapons, faith, the word, Faith in Christ and who he is and Christ dwelling in us. The word of truth and his doom that is certain and the power of prayer. When he sees these weapons, he quickly flees and runs to find a place of safety. A most amazing promise that James gives us here in this regard. A precious and magnificent promise as Peter would say. Perhaps we have been tempted too often and we have fallen. Perhaps we have been deceived and allowed ourselves to too often come under the influence and the power of the evil one and we have not resisted him as we should. Perhaps we have not even considered this promise of James, this promise of God that comes through James, that such a promise is true, that such a thing could even take place, that when the devil comes with his schemes and his powers against us, if we resist him with the weapons God gives us, then he will flee from us. Do we believe the promise that the devil does not have ultimate power over us? But we can resist him and we can overcome him and we can make him flee from us. We are no longer in his kingdom if we are believers. We are in the kingdom of Christ. We no longer walk in his darkness. We walk in the light of Jesus. He no longer is our father. But we have a heavenly father and we have fellowship with his beloved son, Jesus. We are no longer under the devil's power. We are under the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the promise for us is that if we resist him, then he will flee from us. It is not a promise of final and ultimate defeat of the devil. Because after he flees, he will come again, just like he did with Jesus. And he will come again and again until the end of life. But if we maintain the mindset of the warrior and we continue to stand firm against him, what James is promising us is that we can have victories and we can overcome him and his power against us. One victory after another victory and make real progress in the Christian life. 
We are the ones who must do the resisting. God does not do it for us. It is our duty as soldiers and followers of Christ. He gives us the weapons. They are divinely powerful. But we are the ones who must use them. And we are the ones who must learn by experience how to better use them. And we must never lose heart. When the devil makes us stumble and fall, we must pick ourselves up by faith, go to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, pick up our weapons once again, and continue on in this great warfare. The promise is for success in the conflict. Resist the devil by faith, by the word, by prayer, and he will flee. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the great truths of the Bible that show us the world in which we live, why things are the way they are, and how mankind has fallen and is under such evil in so many ways. Thank you for the glorious message of the gospel that there is a way of recovery and salvation. There is a way for us to escape from the wrath of God that is to come. And thank you that we have a glorious Savior that has given us all the weapons we need in this present battle. Lord, help us, give us wisdom, give us strength, give us grace by the Holy Spirit, give us understanding that we would be able to use the weapons you have given, that we would resist the devil and we would know increasingly more power against him and that we would see him flee from us. Lord Jesus, help us now and bless your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen.